Welcome to A Tribe Called Yes, the podcast that brings you closer to the world's most notorious risk takers, trailblazers, and enemies of the status quo. Now, here's your host, Darren K. Roberts. We are back with Brandy Savarisi. Let me tell you something. If you want to write a book, you're going to need help. And the first tip I have for you is to find a great editor. And that's what Brandy Savarisi was for me. Let's listen to part two. She's going to dive into the writing process and give you some actionable tips to become a better writer. Here she is, Brandy Savarisi. I think there's also this very romanticized view of books, right? You think of the Boy. visuals of walking into Barnes and Noble and seeing all of these beautiful covers and interesting yep. titles. And you have this thing you think you want to write. Like, yeah, I could do that. And you may have a great intro, right? And it starts off, but then there's always this point to where you want to stab yourself in the eye, right? <laughs> like you're sitting there and you're like, how, you know, people call it writer's block. I wish I had a better term for it. But I mean, there are times and we went through this where I went a little MIA because I didn't even want to read my own story. Like sure. I didn't even want to confront it. And then you sort of pull me back, you know, slap me around and then I'm back at it. You're kind of as an editor, it seems like part psychiatrist, part coach, you know, you're prodding at times, you're pulling. Yeah, yeah I think with you, that it was very easy to be engaged, right? Your story came to me at a time when it was extraordinarily relevant in my own life. Mm. So it was very easy for me to to take those roles with you. Also, in our relationship, it became very clear to me that you valued that coaching relationship, right? So I could kind of be like, Darren, <laughs> hello, Darren, it, you know, um, where are my chapters? Hello. You know, that was, that was very, it was easy for me to take that role with you. So I think the successful writer has to be okay with the discomfort, hmm. right? Because you're going to get tired of your own story. You're going to get tired of your own voice. You're going to probably get tired of your editor saying, where's my chapter? When are you going to get done? So I think there has to be a certain comfort with discomfort. Hmm. In your story, we see that. Yeah. <laughs> you were you were very okay with that. Um, you know, a lot of people aren't. A lot of people aren't. Yeah. You're figuring things out now, right? Like, uh, you're... <laughs> well, you might be giving me too much credit. I'm trying. <laughs> you're, you're going through a period where you're, 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 I mean, you have a lot of talent and interest and skills. And so talk through sort of your process for distilling all of that and figuring out what what's next. Do, yeah. 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 I think my stumbling block right now is maybe there are a couple one is what sticks. I have a lot of ideas. I could see my career going in a number of different directions. Some would be hard left turns. Mm. Some would be just a, a little shift of the path. So that's a speed bump that I'm a hurdle that I am facing and trying to figure out, am I comfortable with taking a hard left turn? Am I comfortable with what that means in terms of really starting from scratch? Mm. Or 
am I over the discomfort? And do I just want to kind of do the shift in the path and be okay with wherever that takes me? Because the hard left is going to take me in a very different direction. The little shift in the path is just, you know, it's a little shift. So I think that's where I am currently is trying to figure out what's my level of comfort with change and discomfort. What kind of factors come to your mind, like age and education? And like, what are the considerations that come to mind? Yeah. And which ones end up having more value than others? Yeah. Well, some things that are very certain in my life are Austin. We've committed to being in Austin, and we have a pretty extraordinary life. My husband and I have a pretty extraordinary life in Austin. So I don't see making a change geographically. So that's kind of set, you know, I don't have to really think about that too much. My big pivot, if I really were to pivot, it would be to become a landscape architect. It's and coming back, the architecture. Oh, it is. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it was... It's calling you. It, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it's definitely been a constant. I wish I had known that landscape architecture was a thing I could have done, mm. you know? I really went to college a little too early. I should have maybe done a gap year or a couple gap years and, yeah, totally. and figured that out a little bit. So I'm going to interrupt you because yeah. I keep reading about, you know, people are really advocating for this gap wow, year. Yeah. And I've always thought about it in terms of post-undergrad. I'm right. a big fan. But a lot of people are saying take one to two years yeah. after high school graduation. So I did a gap year after my bachelor's degree. Hmm. I needed the time, frankly, to fill out applications if I was going to go to graduate school. But really, my I had an opportunity to ride full-time, hmm. ride horses full-time. And I felt like I really had to make a go of that. I ended up going to graduate school because I think by that time, it was kind of a fait accompli. I I had it in my mind. I had a bachelor's degree in the humanities. If I was going to do the humanities, I needed to, to get a master's, if not a PhD. So it was kind of a given, right? I graduated from high school at 17. I was very young. I had a ton of worldly experience. I had been all over the world. I had seen a lot as a 17-year-old, but I didn't didn't know what it meant to go to college. You know, I didn't know what it meant to choose a career. For my parents, the Air Force was their career. You know, they had enlisted, and the Air Force gives a lot of structure, and it provides a very clear path. And my parents were extraordinary at their jobs. They were incredibly successful. So I saw that and thought, well, I'm going to take that and I'm going to turn it into going to college, right? Or And then my career will just, whatever my career is, and I'll be extraordinarily successful. Well, I really had a lot of catching up to do in college. Hmm. Academically, certainly, but emotionally and, and in my maturity level, I wasn't able to kind of take it all in and figure it out, process it and figure it out. And so I think if I had taken a gap year or two and that there had been something in place to explore career opportunities or, you know, figure out, oh, well, you're really interested in architecture and you're really interested in what it looks like in Turkey versus what it looks like in England versus what it looks like in the South. 
but you're also very interested in being creative and the landscape and railroads and, you know, all of those things that I was super interested in, you know, maybe I could have figured out much earlier that landscape architecture was my thing, hmm. right? Uh, certainly, if I were to ever have children, I would man almost mandate a gap year. I really would. I think it's a necessity, certainly now, with everyone going to college, and you might as well make make it worth your buck. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, I just see this from teaching a lot of freshmen each year. Sure. So I see around 150 to 200 each year. There's a very real, we've talked about this, this tension between the torchbearer and the right. and the trailblazer, right? So be the first in my family to become an attorney or a doctor, or I have to be the third generation doctor. Sure. And I hear it all the time. And then people get here and they actually find out that they actually want to be a journalist, or a painter. Or a painter, right? <laughs> but it doesn't jive with yeah. all of the STEM articles sure. and research that's coming out about how the economies are shifting yeah. or what the parents are saying back home. It's a tough thing for someone to navigate at any age. Sure. And definitely for someone at 17, 18, 19. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I struggle to navigate it as well because, you know, my parents, they really, of course, wanted me to have an as easy a life as possible. And from their perception, what that meant was a real job, right? In an office with a steady salary and benefits and and that sort of thing. And I, of course, wanted that too, at least that stability. But I didn't really know where to channel my energies and my interests and my desires and make that into a quote-unquote real job yeah. or a practical application of that, of those interests. It wasn't until I was, frankly, in graduate school that I started to see different ways that I could have done that, where my path could have shifted that could have taken me into landscape architecture or maybe journalism or, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. But instead, I was... You know, in my second year, finishing my master's degree and kind of going, uh, <laughs> what, um, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think if I had taken a little bit of time, even if I had been like a, a working student at a farm riding horses, right? I think I could have learned to ask different questions, maybe just been a little bit more intellectually mature when mm. I went to college. When I went to college, I just was hungry. I was so hungry for all that learning and all that information. And I was a sponge and I didn't really ask critical questions. I didn't really learn to mm. ask those critical questions until I was in well into graduate school. So when you look back over your life, what would you say has been the most difficult transition you had to navigate? The most difficult transition I've had to navigate is moving to Austin. Hmm. Yeah, we'll really, it's that. it's pretty recent. I moved to Austin for personal reasons. I don't regret moving to Austin at all. But I I left a job that was really a dream job for me. And I have not been able to replicate that hmm. in Austin, that, that career fulfillment. I have not been able to replicate that here. And I think that's a sign that it's time to change or that I'm ripe for change. 
it's a matter of a few questions ago, it's can I stomach the expense and the challenge of returning to school? I don't know if I can. Can I stomach a shifted career? So I think I think I'm still maybe in the biggest challenge hmm. of my personal life, my professional life, and I'm still trying to figure out where that goes, hmm. how to resolve that. This podcast is all about saying yes, but I'm I'm curious to hear how you say no. So you know, one thing that, that we've heard just from getting feedback from listeners and they talk about needing a way to filter out the noise hmm. and the multiple requests that kind of pull you away from what you think you should be doing. Do you have a way to say no? I can imagine that people are asking you for, uh, you know, and I'm in this category for all sorts of advice or help with things or to join. I mean, do you have a way to, to say no? Well, I would never say no to you, Darren. No, you're um, lying, but I appreciate it. No, you really, you, <laughs> you've been a joy. You really have been. I'm not very good at saying no to people or requests that are valuable to me. Mm. And I have decided, I think, that I don't want to say no to those things, right? I, I don't want to say no to this opportunity to talk with you. I don't want to say no to my peers in my riding community to whom I can offer help, mm. certainly not as a riding instructor, but in terms of communications or or what have you. I don't want to say no to those those experiences. So I'm not saying no right now mm. because I don't have – I'm not experiencing anything I really want to say no to. And I think part of that is comes as a lesson from working on your project. Mm. I'm hoping that by being open to saying yes to many things, that will help me further figure out what my next steps are. So that's a really hmm. backwards way of answering no, your this question. Is good. This is good. <laughs> I don't, I'm not saying no right now. So talk to the folks in the tribe about writing again, because this is... This is also something that keeps coming up in emails, but people want to write. They want to write. They yeah. Want to write. Yeah. Any advice? Like, oh, what would yeah. you tell them about, okay, even just starting, like just getting off the ground, sure. coming out of the blocks? Yeah. Well, first, I think writing is laborious. Hmm. You must write. <laughs> uh, right? simple, right? It's, pretty, it's a pretty simple <laughs> equation. If you want to write, you have to sit down and do it. Um, so I think that's the first piece of advice is, is, you know, what do you have to say? Sit down and try to say it. Doesn't have to be perfect, mm. you know, does not have to be polished and presentable, but figure out what you want to say and write about it. NaNoWriMo is coming up, right? We're we're right on the verge of NaNoWriMo. What is that? NaNoWriMo. You're going to have to look up the <laughs> actual definition of it, but it's in the month of November. Hmm. Writers have kind of appropriated the month of November as an exercise for, you know, really doing the work, really sitting down and doing the work. Month of November. The month huh? of November. So so we're, we're poised, you know, for those who want to be writers or those who have something to say to be a part of a community of writers who are also mm. doing the work. 
Maybe that's another mm-hmm. piece of advice is, you know, find a community, find a tribe mm-hmm. of people who are also pursuing what you're pursuing, not subject matter necessarily, not not even genre, but other writers are the only ones who are going to know how difficult it is mm-hmm. to actually sit down and do the work. So sit down and do the work and don't romanticize the publishing process. Get that out of your head as early as possible. And what do you mean by that? What do you that? Well, I mean, you know, don't don't romanticize having an editor. <laughs> I mean, most writers are not publishing with the big five in New York. I'm not even sure that publishing with the big five in New York is going to fulfill that sort of romanticized notion of having an editor and signing the big advance, signing and, the <laughs> big advance and, and, you know, somebody who's nurturing every word you put on the page. It just it's not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So really don't romanticize the publishing process and understand that book publishing, much like writing, is work. It's a process. There are deadlines Those deadlines may not be as quick as you want. You can certainly relate to that, right? So definitely have a clear picture or as honest a picture as possible of what it's going to look like to go through that publishing process. I think that's very important. Another piece of advice I had is to really research your competition. So maybe I want to write a book about Victorian architecture, Okay, there are 9000 books on Victorian architecture. What's going to make my book different? What's going to make somebody who's interested in Victorian architecture or even better, somebody who's not interested in Victorian architecture? What's going to make them start my book and finish it Hmm. and write a review on Amazon? Hmm. Right. Yes. That's the ultimate goal is book sales and reviews. So it's my job, it's the writer's job to really figure out what are other people in my space saying and what makes what I'm saying different. Why will readers want to pick up my book and start it and finish it and write a review, Hmm. a good review? So I think those are the three things that I think are critical for people who who are writing with the goal of publishing a book, getting it out in the market and having people read it. That's powerful. Clue, tell us about a horse named Clue. Sure. Clue is the light of my life. She's also extraordinarily challenging. (laughs) Anybody who rides horses will understand what that means. Clue is a Texas-bred thoroughbred. She raced here in Texas seven times. She lost all seven times. I like to say that it's because her breeders named her You Are Clueless. And she said, well, you know what? (laughs) I'm actually not. (laughs) I'm just not going to run very fast. So we started to call her Clue. I call her Clue. She's extraordinarily smart. She's a five-year-old, and she's wonderful, really, really wonderful. Hopefully, we'll come out of this rocky patch that we've been having. We've been having a little bit of a rocky patch with uh, health and training, and we're We're looking to turn a corner and really get out there and start making some progress. Give my regards to Clue. I sure will. Okay, 
We're going to hit the two-minute drill. Oh, goodness. You, I know you're ready for this. You're I ready don't know. for this, okay? I know. I'll try. One last tweet. All right? 140 characters, 60 characters, whatever the heck it is. Is this like the world is ending? This is the world is ending. Oh. This is your world is ending. So your world is ending, but the other... Oh, okay. This the is rest not, of us are still going on. This is not like the meteor is aimed at no. Earth and... Oh, no, okay. no, no. So just your world is coming to an end, but okay. we're all going to be here. And Okay. Well, I think it's a variation then on the meteor tweet. <laughs> it's, you know, let's stop screwing this up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I mean... It's pretty clear how we don't how we can turn this planet around. <laughs> so let's not screw this up. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah. So what is what is the name of the class that every college student yeah. should take? Yeah, I thought about this one a lot. Hmm. I think it would be critical for everyone to take anthropology one hundred and one and hmm. one hundred and two. Really? You know, a full year, right? So that you can see the the sweep of humanity. I think. You know, in this culture and climate of divisiveness and rancor, we're all the same. Hmm. We are all absolutely the same. I think every 17, 18, 19-year-old who's starting college needs to have a firm foundation in understanding that. Hmm. All right. You're a woman of the words. Oh, gosh. One cliche. Boy, I... You would eradicate from human speech. It's all good. <laughs> Listen, there'd be a lot of mute folk running around right? the world. That's just it. Say. That's just it. I, I really cannot stand platitudes. Hmm. And that's one that has just become so pervasive. And you know what? It's not always all good. It's not. Hmm. And we need to be okay with that. I'm in a phase of extreme discomfort right now. It is not all good. <laughs> It will hopefully be good at some point, but it feels very dismissive to me, and hmm. I, I don't like to hear it. Mm. That's good stuff. What is the name of the book that you have not written? What's the title? So, you know, this is really hard for me as not being a writer, right? I, do, I don't know that I have a book in me, but I remember the summer between my two years of graduate school. I remember saying to someone, if I were going to record an album... Not that I'm musical, but I, I was on the radio for a long time. I was very engaged in in music for a long time. I said, my record would be called The Summer of Wet Hair. <laughs> and I think what that symbolized for me was that I was finally kind of growing into myself and learning to accept who I was mm. and, and be happy. So I think if I were to translate that into a book, I would call it The Summer of Wet Hair. That's a good title. Thanks. Okay, so listen, it's it's fourth and one. I have one last question for you. It's fourth and one. I don't know what that means. Okay, so it's this is this is that critical play. Of, <laughs> we've been getting long enough. I, I thought all the football I metaphors. A football book, right? I still don't even know what that means. <laughs> okay, so you've got one last play. This is like your last chance okay. to win a game, oh, right? Okay. And score a touchdown. Is there something in your life? Is there some source of inspiration? Whether it's a an album or a song or mm. a book or a poem or a movie? Is there something that you refer back to when you are at your lowest of lows? It's my husband. Mm. Wow. It's my husband. He's extraordinary. Wow. Wow. I'm tearing up even thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, it's it's Matt. He's pretty terrific. That's awesome. Yeah. 
I, I am really lucky. I'm a very lucky person. Yes, you are. And I'm lucky to have you. And oh, you have been a joy, Darren. Congratulations. I'm very you. proud of you. No, I appreciate it. When I, when I first came to you, I felt like I was just a little... A little fledgling. You know, coming out, you know. Now you're... Maybe you can slap me around a yep. little bit. You're a fully mature bird. But no, really, I thank you for your patience. Oh, I couldn't. And yeah. It was wonderful. Incredible insight. It was It was a wild ride, but thank you for helping me to create this book that I've been trying to write for so long. It was my pleasure. It's finally a reality. So. You really were a joy to work with, and I think I really feel excited about what you do with students. I think it would have been great to have had a professor like you mm. as a freshman, so I, I feel very hopeful about that, and I really look forward to what happens with this podcast mm. and with your next book and your speaking career. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Thank you, Brandy. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to A Tribe Called Yes. For more information, you can visit us at atribecalledyes.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget, keep saying yes. Yes.